Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Lou Perez podcast, my monthly Ask Me Anything. And today, it's, um, I'm really happy with uh, uh, today and looking forward to it uh, because I'm going to be joined by a hilarious comedian, uh, but I'm going to bring him in a little later. Um, yeah, to kick things off, uh, just want to uh, t- tell you a little bit about my sponsors. If you guys are into cold brew, please check out Black Organic Cold Brew, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. If you use the promo code LOU, that's L-O-U, you get free shipping. And if you guys are into CBD products, check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. If you use promo code LOU over there, you can get, um, I believe it's 25% off orders over $75. So I would highly recommend uh, you guys heading over there, if that is um, your thing. Uh, you have to excuse me. Uh, I am broadcasting from a uh, from the top floor, kind of the attic of my house, and there is no air conditioning. Uh, so right now, I am. There's a lot of shine happening on my face, um, and I don't want you to think that I'm looking like this because I'm in terrible shape. I'm getting back. I'm getting back to shape into shape but uh this is what you have to you have to deal with uh, looking at looking at my mug and um so if you guys have any questions i want you to hit me up in the comment section have uh, quite a bit to uh to talk about uh, one of the announcements that i was going to make uh to the world and to all you guys is to let you know that over the next few months i'm actually going to be logging off of most social media and by most social media, I mean Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I can't believe that I'm on TikTok, but I'm on TikTok too. I'm going to be logging off uh, for good reason because I'm going to be working on a book. So I'm going to be writing a book, or I am currently writing a book, and I need to devote real time to it. So as much uh, as much fun as I have, uh, you know, being online and taking part in all the fun uh it's definitely a time suck and it's uh it can it could easily derail me from my project which is getting a book written uh over the coming months so if you guys want to um be a part of my journey and be along with me uh, be with me along the way you can join the community over on locals the luperez.locals.com community and if you head over there i'm probably uh going to be uh, kind of speaking exclusively uh, through that, uh, letting you guys know everything that I'm going through as I sit in this very hot attic with my face sweating, trying to figure out how to uh, how to write a book. So that's where I am on that. We have, uh, we have one comment coming in. Let's see. David Arias says, how's the outlining coming? Already there, man. Already done. Done and done. No more outlining. Uh, that was the easiest portion doing a lot of cutting and pasting. Um, but right now we have a few eyes on us. So I'd like to bring in my special guest for the evening. Here he is. This is a comedian extraordinaire, Mr. Joe DeVito. Joe, thank you for joining me. Hey, good to be here, Lou. Good to see you. Good. And you look like you have air conditioning, uh, wherever you are. I have not turned it on yet, but I do have that option. Unlike, uh, <sighs> You look at you, you look at like a 
Latinx and Frank in your attic there, sweating it out. <laughs> That's right. This is this is what a uh, you know a Latin person looks like right before they expire, and then they become Latinx. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what I got going. Oh uh, man, you just you uh, you just you just said I have the option of air conditioning, Lou. I have the option yeah. of that. Oh yeah. God, man, to have choices in life that would be that would be fantastic. Um, Joe, so th one of the uh, uh, one of the great uh, times that I had being on another uh, a friend show is when I was on Andrew Heaton's show um, some yeah. months back, and uh, you were on it as well. That was a that was a lot of fun, and um, uh, since then you hit one of these amazing milestones. Uh, your special on Dry Bar Comedy yes. hit like is it two million two million views on YouTube? It's actually on YouTube. I think it's two point three million on Facebook. Three and a half million. It's, oh my God. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I'm very, very pleased. Yeah. And how did you get in with, uh, with dry bar comedy, um, in the first place? Well, dry bar is, um, very interesting. It, um, for, for people who've never heard of it, it's a company that puts out clean comedy specials, uh, and they were being marketed to, uh, I think Christian entertainment outlets. So because I can work clean when I need to, my, my, for the most part is clean because uh, I do corporates and you know all that pre 2020 stuff when I was making a living just doing stand up. Uh, they'd reached out to me and I said, yeah, let me give this a shot. And I, I flew out to Provo, Utah and uh, I taped two sets and they put it together into one like 40 minute ish piece. And I was happy with it. I burned off a lot of material that I was kind of looking to move on from. I, I did some things that maybe I don't do in the clubs anymore. Um, and they pay you up front as if it's kind of like doing a club weekend. So there was no financial exposure on my part. What they did say was if you hit these benchmarks in terms of views, you start to get paid residuals. And looking at the benchmarks at the time, I thought, well, these are so lofty. I'm never going to hit these. Mm -hmm. And then we have a pandemic where everyone is trapped inside looking for things to look at. So, yeah. um, you know, all it took was a, the death of millions in the collapse of Western society, but I got residuals. I'm getting some checks in the mail. But but seriously though, it was uh, it was a good experience, and it's um, it's really been nice the feedback that I've gotten on it. it I, I can, you know, you know how when you do something like that, and then you you can't watch it because it's kind of gross to watch yourself. Um, but when I look at it now, I'm, I'm pretty I'm happy with it. I'm like, yeah, this is a good comedy special. It's funny. It's funny, and it's funny at a good steady clip. Yeah, and um, I remember it. It seemed like. Uh... Drybar just started showing up um, not too long ago on my Facebook feed, and I was like, mm. "What is this?" And uh, for, for those who for those of you who haven't checked it out, I mean, for one, I have to say is like the production value is excellent. They yeah. are they are professional. They're top notch. Um, everything that they um, you know th that they have going uh, going for them, and also there's just there's this really th there's this uh, I don't know there's this element to it's almost edgy that it's clean. You know? <laughs> yeah. It you stands know? out. Yeah, it, it really does. And it's sort of like, Oh wow, this is, this is comedy that you could watch with your, you know, with your parents and not feel weird. You can watch it with mm. your younger kids and not feel weird. And it, it seems like, uh, I, um, I don't know, maybe cause I'm like, uh, a product of like the eighties and nineties where, you know, the first, I think like the first comedian me and my brothers ever quoted was dice, you know? So it's, so, <laughs> you know, so I'm coming from a different, uh, a different generation. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. It, um, that's, that's the number one thing that I hear from the fans is they're, they're so relieved that it's not, um, 
that there's not the cursing and talking about, uh, you know, I guess even R-rated topics. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's a, in Provo, Utah, they're Mormons, so right. they even said, you know, they they asked that we not disparage um, marriage. Um, you know, want a whole lot of jokes jokes about drugs and drinking because it doesn't really relate to them. But the audiences were great. Yeah. Um, and I think where I'm at now, I I almost prefer that because for a couple of reasons. I want to hear good jokes. And when you work clean, it does make you have to rely on the strength of the joke a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and I like dirty jokes. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me, but I like jokes. I like strong jokes. And I think connected to that is what's going on in our culture and me being older now, how I've moved away. I, I've come to terms with not having to be hip as far as uh, mm -hmm. what, what people under the age of 30 are doing. And it's nice because I, I look at what is being promoted by the, the comedy business. And I think, well, that's not for me. So where would I go to laugh at something? And this is, I think this is where you end up. You go and they really, if you look at something like comedy central wishes, they could get the number of, of views and impressions that these guys make. I mean, they really do a good job of promoting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, I'm, I'm 39. Uh, and it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, you go, I've been to bars, like with my wife mm. and I'm like, I got to get out of here. Everybody's, yeah. everybody's a bro who's 26. Mm. And I'm like, and it, it's not even necessarily like, Oh, uh, they're being jerks. It's like, no, they're all, they're all 25 and 26 years old. I don't belong here. This is a different, this yeah. is a different vibe. And I think it's kind of a similar thing in, in comedy in a way where it's sort of like, See, watching younger comics work and it's sort of like oh i get it i get where you are in life where the stories that you're telling or you know things that you're picking up and it's just not necessarily my speed and it's not like i'm saying you shouldn't do that or don't do that it's just yeah it's I'm not just for different. you it's just yeah. not yeah it's just not for me yeah. well I, I know that when i used to stop in a lot of the open mics because um i i teach stand-up writing so i go check mm -hmm. in on my students and stuff and I would watch what younger comics are talking about and I would start to really get, I wasn't so much laughing as I was concerned for them <laughs> because yeah. their lives did not sound very happy. Mm. Um, the guys mostly talked about being socially awkward, watching video games, pornography and smoking pot. And the, the young women told stories about binge drinking and depression and gross, unsatisfying sex. And I thought, wow, I guess, almost like paternal instincts making me want to say that I know you're supposed to talk about your life, but I kind of, I hope that is not what your life is like. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I, I lived out in LA for mm -hmm. close to four years and uh, I met my wife, my, my wife to be out in New York. And then she moved out to LA uh, with me. And so she would come to like all the shows that I would do, you know, and yeah. even I, I used to host a sort of a hybrid show and then an open mic. And she had like a, a very similar, you know, reaction to a lot of the comedians where it, it was sort of like, I, I, you're making me feel so bad for you <laughs> yeah, that I, that I can't even laugh. It's not even, it's not endearing, you know? And, and, and there is something to, um, uh, a comedian who's able to relay, you know, fuck ups from their life, but do it in a way where you're like, ah, but they're, they're in control of it. You know, they're, they're in control yeah. of their life as opposed to uh, let me just keep revealing 
this trauma that I'm going through and, mm. you know, hope and hope that I, I don't know. Are they hoping that someone out there is going to, you know, like Joe's going to come up to them and be like, Hey, I, I look, I, we don't have to talk about that third yeah. beat, but we should really talk about, you know, the callback that is your life and what went wrong. And let's get it back on, let's get it back on track or something. Yeah. It's the, the, the issue to be addressed is a little bit deeper, deeper than, set up punch right, right. <laughs> it's kind of like what are you doing yeah and it's um it's very interesting what you learn from watching stand-up especially at the beginner level i don't think i think you learn a lot more from watching people who are unpolished because you you see it in a more raw form and i know what i've learned from watching that is self-deprecating can very easily cross that line into you're just bumming everybody out and you don't need to be telling everybody. And I call it spraying yourself at people. And I, I think mm. for some people, it seems like that's the goal is to just inflict this opening of yourself. But it's to me, it's almost like uh, like making people watch you trim your nose hair or, or wipe your ass. It's like, oh, all right, well, you did reveal an intimate thing, but good God, did it need did that need to be done? What What did you get out of it? Right, right. That there, there have been a number of times when I've done sort of these like like variety show, like we'll yeah. call them like mix shows where you have um, stand up. You'd have some people do, you know, sort of like uh, sketch comedy characters or scenes, and then you'd have storytelling too. And um, uh, I forget who it was who described storytelling as sort of, uh, you know, it's stand up, but you don't have any punchlines whatsoever. <laughs> so, so it's you know. Yeah. And there, I can't tell you the amount of times that I would have to follow somebody, um, women in particular, who would, you know, use their time to talk very openly and graphically about terrible things that have happened yeah. to them, like sexual assault. And yeah. I did I did one show where uh, this poor, poor woman got up and talked about her sexual assault. And then I have to follow her and. I was planning to tell a story about how when I got out of a five-year relationship, I went, I was single and went a little crazy with my dating stuff. Yeah. And and I ended up buying like vibrators. And it's like, oh man, following someone who's like, Yeah, you know, I was I was raped. And then the first thing I have to say is, wow, dating is hard. <laughs> I know you feel like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. uh, you know, it's uh it's tough. And I, you know, I uh, you know, thankfully there wasn't, you know, a lot riding on that show, um, mm. you know, but, but yeah, I've had, I've, I've had some experiences where, um, where it's sort of like, it would have been better if I went first, you know, if you, yeah, those let, are the let kind me of go first. Where, well, I, I've had to follow acts like that. And usually what happens is I would say to the host, can you do a little time before you bring me up? And they go, no yeah. problem. They go, and then they go up and like your next performer. And you're like, damn it. Like give them a little palate cleanser. Uh, yeah, yeah. The storytelling then, thing is interesting. I, yeah. I I explored that a little bit over the past couple of years, um, because I'd seen so many comics who would say, "I'm more of a storyteller." When the truth was, they just were lazy and didn't feel like editing, and they were long winded. But when you see someone who's really good at telling a story, you're just amazed at what they can get into five minutes. They, it's it's like watching a, a play in five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's a pretty interesting skill set. I'd like to figure that out. Um, and the reverse of that is I have a friend who's been into the storytelling world for a while, and she took one of my stand-up classes, and she just wanted to punch up 
uh, I mean, it was a bit about her mother dying, but, and when she went back to storytelling, having done the punch up, it was mind blowing how great her performance was. So I think you can learn a little bit from both of them, but some of the storytelling, it just is someone's going up and sharing like an awful vignette. And I, and I don't know if there was any art to it or any technique. It just was, it was, it was very honest, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's, that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it also, be, it, you know, you start wondering why, you know, why are these people here, especially at Mike's? Um, mm. uh, um, I would, I would, op- I would often have very long gaps between performances and I would like book a show and be like, okay, I got to get up there and just get any time that I want. So every time that I was going up at a mic, it was with the idea of, okay, I'm rusty. I need to just be able to hold the mic and have words come out of my mouth. You know, I need to be able to like riff a little bit and, uh, you know, you, uh, take whatever's in the room to jog memories of bits and, you know, and that sort of thing. And then there were, I would see, you know, a number of people getting up there to do like what you said, which is sort of, you know, spraying, you know, mm. their, you know, their, you know, traumatic experiences. And then other people was sort of like, oh, this is kind of their hangout. This is a, a social, yeah. a social thing. And for those of if anybody's out there who hasn't, you know, tried, you know, you know, tried stand up or is looking to do it, um, you know, not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, any of this stuff. It's just that's what you're going to have to deal with with your peers, you know, when you have to, when, yeah. you know, it's, it's an hour and a half in and you're waiting to do your three minutes <laughs> and somebody's up there, you know, and they're, yeah. and, you know, and they're making uh, callbacks to, uh, you know, an earlier mic that nobody even was at. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going, you know, yeah. what's going on here? Um, oh, let's see. We have some, uh, let's see. Uh, Bobcat asks, okay, real question. Um, how do you go from saying a few funny things to writing a stand-up show? Oh, it's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to take that one? Yeah. Um, I think that is, that is what separates I, I, I always tell people that the stand-up comedy pyramid has a very wide base, that there are a lot of people who try it, and most people wash out within the first two years mm-hmm. because that's when you learn, oh, once you stand up and face an audience, it's a whole different experience than being funny with your friends. So I think what you do to make that step is you have to be as prepared as possible. So... I'm amazed when I talk to newer comics and I'll say, well, show me the document where you have where you've got you've compiled all your bits. And they'll say, oh, I don't have anything written down. And I think, well, here is the first challenge for you is to you have to write things down. You have to edit. You have to do all this stuff. And the more work you put in, the more natural it will seem when you're on stage. Uh, some people think that stifles, you know, you're just going to go. I, I remember when I used to do the amateur shows and all the nerds like me would be walking around looking at our pads and making notes. And there was always a guy with a beer in his hand. It was like, oh, no, I'm just going to go up and wing it. And it was always a bloodbath because mm-hmm. once you face the audience, it's just not the same. So I would say the first thing you need to do is is write, just write down everything. And when you're doing that initial phase of writing down everything, don't worry if it's funny yet. You just need to get it on the page. and then. I say figure out what's on your mind and how you want to talk about it and then worry about making it funny. But to sit there with a pen thinking what's funny, it's too much pressure to put on yourself. It's the wrong time to ask that question. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Daniel uh, BC says, Joe, first saw him on Red Eye. Good old Red Eye on Fox News Channel, a classic Ew. program. 
there we go. And um, have you been on? Have you been doing stuff on Fox? Um, I have. Then? Well, obviously. Yeah, um, I work on Greg Gutfeld's new show. Nice. The, um, nice. Number one show in its time slot on cable. What, what, yeah. What time? What time is it? It's on? Uh, it's on 11 p.m. Monday through Friday. Um, mm. About two months ago, they made the jump from it just being a Saturday show, and it's just a very silly talk show. It's it's. It's a good time. I do some writing for it, and I'm a regular panelist on it. Um, they treat me very well over there. It's very interesting what's happened in the political realm, that if you had said to me that I would have like a little home base at Fox News Channel, I would have thought, right. well, what do you mean? But I'm seeing these weird intersecting circles of people I meet through there, people from compound media, people who are free speech advocates, and within those circles, people who like to lift weights, Jordan Peterson, people who eat red meat. <laughs> like, there's all these weird libertarian thought threads that go through that. I mean, it's kind of how I met you. I mean, it was, it was yeah. strange when I did the podcast with you. I thought, oh, I already know this guy because I was watching your, what was it? We the People? Was that what uh, you were doing? We the Internet. Yeah. We the Internet. Yeah, yeah. And um, I thought, oh, okay, I like this guy's stuff. So there's definitely a strange... Um, slightly right of center libertarian kind of comedy that's out there. It, mm -hmm. it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I've noticed that there, there's something to be said about being able to talk to people mm. and not worrying every sentence that you, you know, that you utter that somehow yeah. you're going to offend the person or they're going to, you know, possibly use this against you in, in some yeah. way. Um, the, the social aspect, the very, you know, simple idea of being able to talk to people. Um, I, I never realized the value of that until, you know, over mm. the past, you know, few years where it was sort of like, oh, well, like you said, like with the, with the Fox stuff, it's like, man, if, if I was the kid in college and someone would tell me that, oh, I would like a bunch of people who appear regularly on Fox, I'd be like, there's, come on, man, there's absolutely, there's absolutely no way. Um, yeah. But, you know, the the platforms are, you know, are, are definitely there. And, and thankfully so, because it's sort of like, I mean, if they weren't there, it's like, where else would, you know, mm. where else would you be? You know, it's sort of, uh, I don't know. You're right about the ability to have a conversation. Um, I, I think that is the dangerous thing that we see going on, that words are being bent and manipulated to, they no longer have meaning. They're just used as traps. Um, so I feel like with you and the people that I talk to that I choose to interact with, you can say what's on your mind and you don't have to worry that. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of at Planet Fitness, the Lunk Alarm. Are you familiar with the Lunk Alarm? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I've, I've yeah, never, I, I've never uh, set it yeah. off, but I know what you're it's, talking about. It's if your weights hit the floor, brah, this alarm goes off. Well, to me, it's like, are we here to lift some goddamn weights or not? So right. sometimes a weight's going to hit the floor, and you can't have a siren go off. You just have to be able to deal with it. And um, I think especially for comedy, I'll give you an example. I was at a, a show uh, Clayton Fletcher used to do at the Greenwich, and, and Clayton's a libertarian-minded guy I've known for years. And we were in the backstage area listening to all the new comics talk about how they were so afraid they might say something that would get them in trouble. And we couldn't believe it because when we started, every comic was irreverent. That's what comedy was. You, you broke balls. You said uh, inappropriate things. You, you 
had strange, uh, unacceptable opinions. That's what it was. And to think that now you're supposed to try and, and create something with that weighing on you, I just don't think it works that way. You, I think we're going to look back at a lot of what's passing for art these days, the way we look at Soviet posters. Huh. And we're going to say, oh, that's ugly and formulaic. Well, that's what they felt they had to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I sort of... Um trying to think i've had a number of people um reach out to me um say over the past you know five years so be before i was doing the stuff with with we the internet before i was doing like political and cultural satire yeah. I, was, I was basically doing you know regular stand-up comedy and also hmm. um and mostly sketch comedy making you know producing videos and so there are a bunch of people who know me you know before if you want to call it a shift that I made in, in my focus on, on my comedy. And many of these people who I haven't spoken to in a very long time w have reached out to me and uh, over things that I've, I've posted and said, I'm disappointed in you. You're better than this. Yeah. Right. And there were a few people in particular where it was sort of like they were incapable of imagining that I could have been really kind to them, that I could have helped them out whenever I could, that I could have been the type of person that they enjoyed being around. But also I'm the guy who thinks that, yeah, I, th I think, uh, I think people have a right to arm themselves. I, you know what? I, I, uh, uh, I do not like the amount of money I pay in taxes. You know, <laughs> the idea that you can't hold these, you know, these disparate, you know, views and still be a good person or the idea that, you know, if it really was that big of a problem, we could talk about it. I'm open yeah. to talking to you about it, and you know, uh, you know, sharing a uh, you know a beer or you know, a, a, you know, getting a cup of coffee and all that. And th that's been one of the one of the really troubling things. It's just this, this sort of like all or nothing tribalism, um, where you know, I mean, there's so many, uh, there's so much, uh, Joe, like so many things about you that I. I don't know what Joe thinks about this. I don't know what Joe thinks mm. about that, but you know what? Hey, if we agree on, on some of this other stuff and he has interesting, interesting, interesting things to say, there's a good chance that if there, if we have a disagreement, you're going to have an interesting thing to say or an interesting perspective. I'm open to hearing that. Yeah. Um, the idea I'm going to close the door completely and just be like, ah, you know, you know what? I, I really like Joe's, uh, <laughs> Joe's comedy special, but you know what? Uh, I'm out. Uh, this this is a step too far for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a strange kind of intolerance that mm -hmm. you know. I, I've had. Well, congrats if you can say to the person, "Let's talk about it." I've even tried. Can we not talk about it? Can we just talk <laughs> about something else? And they right. won't let it go. And I've yeah. had these situations with people where I've said, "Look, you and I clearly don't agree on this, and it's very stressful for us to keep going like this." Can we just change the subject? Right. And you see like they, they can't let it go because I think it's become a form of religious fundamentalism where if you don't agree with them, it's not just a disagreement. You, you've, you've, you've urinated on their view of the world and they cannot, they can't, they can't allow that other opinion to exist. Mm -hmm. Even if it only exists in your mind unspoken, they can't allow it. And I think it was, um, uh, Jonathan Haidt maybe did a, a a study where they said if they ask conservatives, can you describe 
the liberal point of view without insults, you know, can you tell us what the good liberal point of view is? And they could kind of cobble together something. And if they said to people on the left, can you tell us what the positive conservative point of view is? They could not do it. They couldn't accept that any of it had any value. And to me, that shows you've got some sort of, you've given up on reason. Mm -hmm. You're just going on pure religious fervor, which it never ends well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. And I find I find it's a big problem where the sort of the people that, that you describe who just can't let it go, where they desperately want to win the debate, but they yeah. don't know how to debate. And they 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 have never I, I, I forget how many years it was. Man, it's probably like five years ago where I was working on a video and uh, the DP uh, found out I was a libertarian. Yeah. Right? And. He, we're shoot, you know, we're shooting. We're, we have a, we're taking a break from shooting. Like I hired this guy to do the job of halt of, you know, holding a camera, setting up a shot and doing all that. And he said, you know, uh, I'd like to debate you on libertarianism. And I, and I said, well, what debate? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'd be up to, I don't know how much of a debater I am. You know, I'd be up to mm -hmm. talk to you about it. Um, and I, and, and he said, well, you know, he asked me a question about all, and I said, well, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, for me, it, it's has to do with the non-aggression principle and blah, blah, blah. And we sort of split for the day. We came back to shoot another day and he said, oh yeah, you know, I looked up that non-aggression principle thing. And so are you saying that you're against all government <laughs> and, and roads, don't you like roads? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but, but it was this thing, it, it was this thing where, wait a minute, yesterday, you wanted to debate me on the merits of libertarianism and yeah. you didn't even know about the non-aggression principle. Like, mm. like this was the first time you had heard that. And yeah. now, but, but yet you thought you were prepared to debate rather than, Hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you uh, about that. It was, yeah, it was, well, they, it was, don't, it was they, yeah. they don't approach in good faith. And I don't, I don't want to make yeah. it sound like it's only one side of the political sure. spectrum that does this, but um, yeah, I've seen it. There was a, a, a clip it was Prager U was on campus and the student called the campus security to have them removed for some reason. And they said, you know, we're just asking questions. And he said, no, you're not. I know what you guys are all about. And they said to him, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but what are we all about? And he said, you, I, I could think of a million things. And they said, okay, can you name one of them? Well, I don't need out of the time. So it's all this weird, it's this thing where they have to belittle and insult you. But you say to them, well, just tell me what it is that you you think I believe in. And then they mention some absurd boogeyman. Uh, I mean, there was a, a comic I was friends with, and we were all out after a, a, an open mic, and we went to the diner. And this was before the election. And, you know, two women, two Jewish mothers said that they were voting for Trump, and they explained why. And he just casually announced that we were all white supremacists. And we were profoundly disturbed by that. And then he wants to know why we don't want to hang out anymore. And it's like, you can't just call me a white, because to me it was, all right, you're having some sort of emotional response here because no one said anything that would warrant that. Right. And, and it's not true. But if you thought that was true, you wouldn't be whining that we don't want to hang out with you because we are white supremacists. So if you don't think it's true, then you were way out of line to say that. But this is another problem, Lou, I think we have is 
confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance are the two biggest logical problems we're having now, where people think they can have two completely contradictory point of views at the same time. And no one is allowed to do that. You, mm. you, you, you can't do that. And, and you can see sometimes where these people's brains start to get a cramp in them, where if you just ask them simple questions, they, they go berserk because it's too painful that, for them to face the possibility they may be incorrect. It's the same as if you were to show a radical Muslim a picture of Muhammad and say to them, well, why don't you just not worry about it? It's just they can't. It's, mm. it's, it's too visceral for them. And I, I don't know how we got to this with politics, but it's very bad. And people won't let you say, well, I'm open to No, no, they don't want any of that. They want the other side to be obliterated. And it's, and I, I, don't, I hate to sound so negative about it, but I, I think we're heading for something very bad. We're at something bad now. And I think we're headed for something worse. I was I was accused of being a white supremacist by two white people who are <laughs> They're the worst who, who are definitive proof mm -hmm. that there's no such thing as white supremacy because they're just two of the fucking losers losers two, two <laughs> losers losers it's one of those things where it's like yeah. like like oh you have white privilege when are you gonna cash that shit in because mm. because homeboy uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me check out so we have a. Uh, Bobcat has a question. I think this is in regards to your uh, concentric circles of uh, body of weightlifting. <laughs> uh, Joe, yeah. do you have an opinion on Chuck Polinick, the uh, author I, I of think, Fight Club? So, I think he's in there. Um, I liked Fight Club. I didn't like Choke quite as much, but mm. I think he's one of the names that pops up. Um, yeah, I, I think those. I think you even see a writer like Brett Easton Ellis, and you see him getting interviewed by Dave Rubin and all these former lefty liberals and i think creative people don't like being told what to do and the people right. you know when i was growing up the squares were you know the republicans and they were the style crampers but now you know i've seen it mentioned people say if you're on the same side as the media the government and the entertainment industry how do you think you're a rebel mm -hmm. so i i think now just you know to have a contrary opinion, you're, you're, you're going against all of that stuff. And it, it's good to go against. Sometimes it's good to go against uh, and have no alternative that you're presenting. Sometimes they think it's good to, if you will, rage against the machine. And I don't mean the band showing up in their limos playing their shitty funk stuff. You know, <laughs> you, you've got to be prepared to, to push back. Yeah. Um, I, for, uh, I've been thinking about this for, for a little while and, um, you know, we're at a time where identity is so important, you know, and the personal yeah. is political and all that. And, um, and one of the things that when I'm, when I'm talking uh, to people, you know, one of the things that I have to talk about with my identity, which I think is probably one of the most important things is that I'm a comedian, that I'm a writer, that, uh, this stuff pops into my head, these thoughts, and I have to decide what to do with them. You know, do I let this one go? Or do I write it down? Like, ooh, I'm, I'm gonna write this one down. This this sounds interesting, or hmm, this is a little naughty. Let's see where let's see where this can go. And um, you know, you were talking about you know uh, you, you know coming up at a at a time when you know irreverency was was what you know mm. comedy was it was a big part of, of of comedy, and it's sort of like in a way. Uh, it's sort of uh, comedy as a mental illness, 
<laughs> and, it, and it's and it's sort of like it's sort of like wait a minute you are discriminating against me by saying that i can't do what my brain is telling me to do and it's not even actions it's just ideas and, and yeah. words coming out there um, let's see okay we have uh jeff uh Creedon has a question what is the best deer in the headlight breaker for a comedian that gets up and freezes on stage Oh, oh, probably not going to like the answer, but it's to get on stage a million times. It's to just keep getting on stage. Um, I used to have such bad nerves that I would throw up before even open mics. Mm. Be, and, you know, I always tell people what cured me was the comedy club bathrooms are so disgusting that I didn't even want to be throwing up in their toilets. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, you just have to do it over and over and over again. Um, because when I started, I didn't know that. So I was getting on stage maybe once a month, and I found that every time it was that same feeling over and over again of these horrible, horrible nerves. And, you know, the, I think there's a, a phrase in acting. They say self-consciousness is the enemy of art, and you have to learn to not be self-conscious. But the way you do that is you just do the same jokes over and over again. You push through. And I I think one of the big moments for me was the first time I was on stage, probably about, was within my first year of stand-up, and I realized that I was speaking, but I wasn't thinking, what do I say next at the same time? But the only way you get like that is you, you have to tell these jokes millions of times, thousands of times, you know, and, mm -hmm. and there have even been jokes where before a show I've said to myself, all right, I'm planning to tell this one particular joke. I can't, I just can't do it again. And, 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 and then I tell the joke and it gets a big laugh. And in my head, I'm like, that's a pretty good joke. Uh -huh. So I think that's, Jeff, I think that's how you would push through it. You know, is you just got to, you have to tell these jokes over and over again, but you have to have a plan. You know, you can't just go up, people go up and they think the magic is just going to happen. You know, the, the more prepared you can be, every time you go on stage, you should have some sort of desired outcome, whether it's, I'm going to run the set, I'm going to work on getting over stage fright. I'm going to just do new stuff, but Write it down, you know, write down what your goal is for that set. And then afterward, look at it and say, did I achieve it? Because then if you achieved what you set out to do and nobody laughed, it's still a win. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Brian uh, has a question uh, for me. Lou, has your comedy always had a political edge to it or did you do regular jokes first? If so, why the pivot? Um, yeah, I think, the, I think the first, there were... A, I think the first two political videos that I did. So I was doing um, a two-man uh, sketch comedy with my my partner Greg Burke. So it was uh, Greg and Lou, and uh, we would do a lot of dark comedy. We would do a lot of parody. We we parodied like Die Hard. We would uh, did a, a video called Wolverine's Claws Suck. Um, so we enjoyed doing that. We're, we're both like kids of the '80s, so we love doing like action movie parodies and and that sort of thing. And I think it was it was uh, right when Obama was running for his second term, the political uh, video that I did for that was, uh, you know, we don't need Obama for just four more years. We need Obama for 4,000 more years. And it was just like, these are all the terrible things that can go wrong that Obama will protect us from, whether it's... Uh, AIDS goes airborne and we need him, you know, so that was, so that was like my first, you know, my, my dip toe into, uh, you know, into political, you know, uh, comedy. 
and then uh then the other one that i did after that was a video called uh um well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do the setup. So in California, they were pushing for affirmative consent on college campuses, meaning when two people uh, were going to have sex, they would need verbal affirmative consent in order for it to be consensual. You know, so the idea being, uh, is it OK if I kiss you? Yes, it's OK if, if, uh, if you kiss me. Can I go down on you? Yes, you can go down. So at every every step of the way, you had to constantly yeah, check in. Yeah, every every step of the way. So so I had the idea of well, you know, even if that's the law, it's still going to come down to he said, she said, um, you know, afterwards. So what what they would probably need to do is hire a, a dorm room sex notary to be in the room, basically checking off, watching mm -hmm. the whole time. And so I did, uh, so we made that video, um, submitted it to, uh, there was a, a contest at Reason, uh, Reason TV, uh, and it was like one of the uh, one of the finalists. And it was around that time that I uh, started working with We The Internet, where they were looking to do political and, and cultural comedy. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I, I happen to be a libertarian, but I've been doing uh, sketch comedy for 13 years. And then it was sort of like, you know, bringing it all together. And uh, early on with, with those videos that I was doing, uh, you know, I'd write a script, I'd be very happy with it. And then I would think, oh man, you know, are the actors gonna be comfortable doing this stuff? Because it, it's pretty amazing, you know, if you look around at the work that actors do, where you're like, oh my God, that's pretty out there, um, you know, depending on the subject matter. Uh, and, you know, that fear of, oh man, I really don't want to have that awkward interaction of an actress saying, I'll do this, but you have to get rid of these lines, you know? So it got to the point where it was like, well, I'm comfortable with this stuff. I perform, I might as well just step up and, and do it. So that was sort of my, you know, evolution into the, uh, uh, you know, political bent of, uh, of comedy. So, um, let's see. It's Bobcat. hard to avoid. Oh, sorry. Oh. Oh, no, I, no, go yeah. I, I used to do a lot of jokes, if I look back at videos from 10 years ago, about current events. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to take a political position to make fun of, uh, you know, Elliot Spitzer or right. Sarah Palin. You could just do jokes about it or some weird thing I saw in the news. And I, I really miss it because now I can't even talk about some weird thing with an animal somebody found. And then that becomes political. It, yeah. it's it's very annoying because sometimes they just want to talk about weird shit that's out in the world. So <laughs> right. you know? uh, Bobcat, speaking of weird shit, uh, Bitcoin conference was really uplifting, especially with regards to decentralization and how it's helpful for the world. Joe, have you been paid in Bitcoin yet? Does anyone, uh... I, I haven't yet. I mean, a lot of places that I, you know, work with just to get them to pay with Venmo is, you know, like asking them to, use the transporter on star trek <laughs> a little <laughs> bit uh have an older audience um i did see a little bit of the clip of tim dylan at the the conference in miami and yeah i think course, i saw the just, same one yeah just him being his usual ridiculous fearless self yeah um he's one of the guys i really like now oh yeah uh, yeah i um my only uh claim to fame with uh with tim is uh years ago i mean we're talking maybe like mm -hmm over 10 years ago, um, there used to be a, a show in Great Neck, Long Island at a fondue restaurant. I don't know if you ever played, if you played this uh, I don't think this so, restaurant. but I think I've heard of it. Do you remember 
Uh, it, it was, uh, I think, Peter Velios, if I'm getting Peter's uh, last name. Uh, I, I remember this one, yeah. Um, and uh, let me just think as well for a sec. Um, so uh, Tim was was booked on that show. So I got I got up there, and one of the things I, you know, just sort of riffed, and uh, I was like, oh, I just saw you know the saddest sight of my life. I saw a man eating fondue alone, and it, you know. And then uh, I got up and I did my set. And the first thing, and when Tim got up, and Tim was, you know, fairly new to, to stand yeah. up, he did not let me get away with that. He got up and just started. He's like, I forget what he was saying, but it was like, how dare you? You know, how dare you? <laughs> and, and started shitting all over me. Um, <laughs> and it was great. And I mean, from the get go, I mean, he was, he was Tim Dillon. He was, you yeah. know, uh, you know, loud and funny, and and also a weird guy to, you know, to 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 peg because it was like who are, you know yeah. what is it? he's a gay guy, gay Republican from Long Island, and you know and uh, and all that. But yeah, he's been doing uh, fantastic, and it's it's nice to nice mm. to see him do so well. Um, uh, the board observer says, "Y'all hear about Anthony Jeselnik sharing an article stating that comedy has an alt right problem, caused quite a stir." between comedians and agenda comedians. I, li <laughs> I like I, I really like that term agenda Agen comedians. With the capitalizations, yes, these coin yeah. phrases. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw some of it. I think a lot of it uh, was coming off that weirdo Seth Simmons who's always writing these right. um, exposés of things that seem to only exist in the confines of his mind. Um, comedy does not have an alt-right problem. I don't think anything has an alt-right problem. I don't think the alt-right is anything for people to worry about it's it's another it's a boogeyman it's and it, you know it, there's so much creative license these people take where if they see someone go up and make an obnoxious joke they then have to extrapolate it into some uh, it's it, I, I guess what you hear a lot now where someone will hear a joke and say well you can't tell that joke you say well why not well it could lead to and then already it's like now you're talking bullshit because right. no one has ever gone out and harmed someone because they heard a comedian tell a joke but the response is from a person who can't manage their own emotions so what they have to say is they can't just say it hurt my feelings they have to say it's going to it's going to result in the committing of a crime. Now, when I mentioned earlier about the bending of language, you hear that in the way people say you've committed an act of violence by saying that. Well, that's not what violence means. But if you can say someone's committed an act of violence against you, then you can punch them in the head. Then you can then you can throw something at them and burn their house. You know, you've you've given yourself license by doing that. Mm -hmm. So by saying things like comedy has an alt right problem. Um, it, it accomplishes a couple of very bullshitty things. None of them are good. And especially this little rich coming from Jeselnik who, who made his bones writing the most offensive jokes he could think of, which were, which were funny. A lot of them were very funny. I'm not going to take that away from him, but to then say this, it's like, give me a break. Yeah. It, it has been weird. Um, you know, seeing comedians like Jeselnik come around and it's sort of like, What's going on there? Like, have you have they, like I wonder have they had like a real change change of heart? Is it the equivalent of, you know, a um, uh, a painter, you know, going to his uh, studio and seeing all of his mm -hmm. easels with all of his paintings that he said? And he's like, no, I'm this is this is done. That this this can't you know see the light of day anymore. This is not who I am. And then tosses his own his own work onto the fire because it 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 seems like. Uh, any of the um, uh, any of, of the uh, 
uh, apologies for the past. It doesn't yeah. come, it doesn't come with, uh, you know, I feel really bad about making money doing this. <laughs> yeah. They know? don't, they never give that part back. And also I think they never extend the courtesy to newer people who are maybe in that same phase of their career. You know, no one ever says, well, I said some really inappropriate things, but now we've evolved. Please forgive me. But let's continue to punish other people who are now in that set of circumstances. It's, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what makes that happen. I think, I think it could be because people would rather have anything happen than admit that they were wrong. Everyone wants, people just want to be right. And when you hang out with people who all have a certain point of view and everyone's telling you you're smart and you're great and you get used to that, um, maybe that's as close to belief in something as you can get. That if you hang out with everyone with one point of view, it starts to become your deeply felt point of view. Mm -hmm. I uh, recently, I uh, uh, a friend of mine, he uh, he messaged me on Facebook, and he's like, "Hey, man," uh, he's like, "I don't," he's like, "You don't have to take part in this conversation that's going on on this Facebook post, mm -hmm. but." It's kind of hilarious and you should you should come over there. So I, I went over just to have a look at it and it was some, it was an argument that I've heard that I've heard before. The idea being uh, conservatives fail at comedy because liberals have empathy. And in order for comedy to work, you need empathy. And uh when, when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, conservative uh, comedy, what I sort of found was um, I never considered myself a conservative comedian, but depending on which video of mine someone was watching, they would be like, oh, typical conservative yeah. comedy or conservatives suck. You're just, oh, Lou Perez is just a, you know, a conservative idiot. And then I found myself sort of, sort of defending conservative comedy where I'm like, yeah, but that's not even who I am. Like, and, and also like, what's conservative about it? You know, like, like what, what is conservative? Uh, uh, I don't know, but if you have it's, insights. It's strange. That. I used to see that after red eye appearances where I would make the mistake of looking at some of the bulletin boards or, you know, that's what it was back then or the comment sections where someone would say for the same thing that I said, one comment would say you liberal homo Jew, whatever <laughs> they would go through their uh -huh. list. And the next comment would be you Nazi right wing. And I think, wow, how can two different people have completely polar opposite opinions of some silly joke that I said? So right. it makes me realize perhaps it's not me. Perhaps mm -hmm. it is an internal struggle they're, they're having. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I don't understand. Well, that idea that's because people on the left have have empathy. You know, stop. They can stop patting themselves on the back for that. Um, but they, they certainly don't like it when you say, well, you know, you need conservatives to run the business. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's definitely like the hemispheres of the brain that conserve the creative mind is better at coming up with the ideas, but not great at implementing them. Whereas you need the people who are good at implementing, but maybe you are a little bit drier in that way. That's why people need to work together, mm -hmm. you know, but no one wants to do that part. Yeah, I was talking about this with um, uh, my friend Boris, uh, Boris Hyken, and Boris made a good point. He's, you know, he's sort of like when somebody's looking to get into uh, stand up comedy, you know, especially mm -hmm. at the beginning, you know, uh, you know, you, you can't raise a family on an open mic or salary uh, because because oftentimes it's, you know, you're in debt because it's like 
you know, mm-hmm. especially in New York, it's like, okay, $5 to get up. And then you have to buy a drink sometimes. And you know, that you're often paying money in order to get up on a mic and, and, and to perform. And, you know, so there are, you know, people of, you know, different mindsets who are like, wait a minute, you know, it, there's a lot of sacrifice to doing stand up. Um, there's a lot of time that I'm going to put into this and it's not necessarily, you know, a, a foregone conclusion that I'm going to make it in standup. Oh, oh, it's but, a terrible idea. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, <laughs> as, as, a, as opposed to, yeah. um, yeah, you know, if I, um, if I get my, my life, if a, my license to be a plumber, my license to be, you know, an engineer, engineer or any other career mm-hmm. path, it's, I know how much it costs to get the training. I have a good idea of what I'm going to get out. I'm of the mindset where, you know what, I'd rather be, uh, you know, uh, have my future a little on, on more, you know, solid ground than sort of up yeah. in the air uh, with comedy. Um, you know, so there is something, you know, so there is something there. I, I made a, I made a joke a while back where when people say, uh, you know, what, why are there so few uh, conservative comedians? And I said, same reason there's so few women comedians. Same, ex- same exact reason, man. Yeah. It's, it's not a hospitable environment for, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't begrudge anyone who tries it and decides to move on. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not for everyone, you know, just, and it, it requires, it takes a lot out of you. Yeah. Um, now there are people who've stuck around after I think every other sign in the world was telling them to, to give up. <laughs> um, sometimes I know it keeps them going, but who knows? Sometimes those people, getting their own thing out of it. The, the people I think kind of irritate me are the ones who, um, I call them, they went, the guys who go straight to bitter. Mm. They, they go directly to complaining and you wonder like, well, what did you think you were promised? Or what do you think your, your act warrants? You know what word I've decided I don't want to hear anymore? Deserve. Mm-hmm. You got to get rid of the word deserve because you either earned something or it, you got lucky. But deserve, it, it implies that somehow Providence is supposed to bestow something upon you because of other things you did. And no one deserves anything. You, you either fulfilled an obligation and busted your ass or you got lucky. But, you know, and I see so many comics who think, um, I used to see this when I would run like a little bar show. All the crazy comics would come by already pissed that I hadn't booked them because they thought, well, here's a comedy show. I do comedy. Therefore, I should get booked. I deserve that. I said, no, you don't deserve anything. Get out of here, you nut job. No one, that's that's a, something you, for the beginning comics here. You will sleep much better the moment you realize no one is under any obligation to book you or advance your career. Once you let that go, ah, almost all the things you're worried about would be gone because mm-hmm. there are people who worry about nothing besides that. Yeah. And and also with the, it, it's so easy to uh, allow yourself to become bitter when you're seeing your peers doing well, yeah. right? And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, over the past however many months, say like the last year, I've had to remind myself like, no, hold on. Your friend who's doing really well worked really hard yeah. to get where they're, they're, not only are they incredibly talented, but they're working really hard and where a lot of people were sitting on their asses with that mm-hmm. idea of that in, entitlement, you know, uh, especially, um, you know, over uh, during the lockdown, you know, I think uh, I, I remember uh, having a conversation, I think it was with, with you and, and Andrew just about, you know, this is really going, this is a, um, a big test for a lot of people to see how they come out of it. Yeah. Um, especially on the comedy front, because, um, 
someone I bring up all the time is my friend is my friend Chrissy Mayer. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Chrissy grinded, yeah. man. Like mm. how how many podcasts she was, you know, doing every week. And and look at her. She's she's touring around the country. She's got doing shows great. all over the place. She's doing great. And you know what? Instead of you know, for the people out there who, you know, might say, Oh, she doesn't deserve all that. No, no, she deserves it. And mm. even if she didn't she made it happen yeah. and she's getting, she's getting after it. And that's crucial. So yeah. Important. And she, she did all that operating at a loss for mm. a couple of years, which is that a logical business decision? No, but she did what she had to do. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't remember ever hearing Chrissy complain. She just took it as what you needed to do. And she enjoyed the fun that she had. And then, yeah, she's really great. You know, I was listening to one of her podcasts where she was talking to Casey Aurora and I was out walking, listening to it, and I'm friends with both of them. And I thought I could call either of them right now, but I'm enjoying listening to the two of them have a conversation. I feel like I'm really listening to friends of mine talk, and she's a great interviewer. Yeah. Now, how did she get that way? Because she did a lot of shit for free to build up her skills. Right. Um, now, how long have? When did you start doing stand up? I think I started. I think the first time I got up to do a set, I was 27 or 28. So uh, about 11 years, I think. Okay. Um, I'm going to be at this next month. It's going to be 20 years. 20 years. 20. Wow. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I remember at the time when I started thinking, oh, I'm so old to be trying this. And then here I am <laughs> 20, 20 years later. Um, but yeah, it is. Um, oh, shit. I forgot my train of thought on that. Is Chrissy trying it? And then. Oh, I, I think what helped me was when I started, comedy was not a cool thing to do. It was, it was after the last of the 80s boom had died out. It was very – like if you told people you did stand-up, they were like, ugh. They were like, what's wrong with you? It wasn't – and the way it was good because there was nothing – there was no expectations for me to have other than I thought it was interesting. My friends talked me into it, and it was an outlet for some creativity that I wasn't expressing elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think that's good because then I noticed probably about 10 years ago, I would see people showing up at open mics already talking about comedies if it were a business plan. And, and I think we see that now where what the industry is doing is if you come in and they're able to check off a certain number of boxes on you, you, the same kind of people they would reject previously for those boxes being checked. Now they're seeking you out and none of it has anything to do with anyone being funny. Hmm. Interesting. Let's see. Bobcat Wolfenstein says, your opinion and position is as important as anyone else. That's the idea behind what we're trying to do as a country. Yes? Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I suppose so. Um, I think it was, it was Kevin, uh, Kevin D. Williamson over at uh, National Review. Mm. He, uh, he said, you know, when it comes to, you know, social media, um, he's like, under circumstances without social media, you know, 99% of the people probably shouldn't be airing their opinions. <laughs> um, but now with social yeah. media, 100% of the people uh, can air their opinions. Yeah. But I think it's the, uh, uh, you know, it's the given, it's the give and take of it. I and mean, one of the things that I've, that I've noticed, especially with people that I follow on, uh, on Twitter, there are quite a few people who started following me. And then I and then I start seeing like, oh, my God, they're funnier than a lot of the comedians I follow. And they're not comedians. They're they're civilians. They have, mm. you know, they have their their regular jobs and then they get on and they 
have nice one-liners and goofs and they go about their day and they have no, you know, they, they have no aspirations of yeah. doing what we do. And in a way it's like, <laughs> in a way it's like, oh man, you know, the, we're, the, the world is a little um, worse off because you don't want to, you know, do more with this. Um, but then it's like, it might not be necessarily the same if you were trying to get after it and, yeah. and, and trying to pursue that. Um, let's do, um, can, can I get, can I have you for just like another five minutes? Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, let's see. Bobcat says, can we talk about Israel? I don't know, man. I don't know oh. if we can talk about Israel. Um, don't know if I'm qualified for that one. Yeah. Uh, David says, what's conservative about making fun of <laughs> oneself? Yeah. What, what hmm. is, what is conservative about that? Uh, I guess you'd have to clarify for me what conservative means in that context. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's the, you know, the word conservative, uh, it's so funny with, we live in a, in a time where identity is mm. so important, so important that people seem to be making up identity, you know, monikers, you know, yeah. left and right. And then it's sort of so many people who I know, uh, you know, as liberals, traditional liberals or classical liberals have been pushed over to the conservative side yeah. without without saying yeah i'm conservative they, they've just sort of been well you know you the center this, has so moved so yeah. much that uh you know opinions that were considered you know downright radical a couple of years ago are considered passe now so mm -hmm. i don't know if i could say what conservative means in that sense i do know that they're i don't even like to say liberal because i have friends of mine who are essentially leftists or collectivists at this point mm -hmm. and there's nothing particularly liberal in the classical sense uh, about what they say. It's kind of, I think Dave Rubin says he's classical liberal, and people like Jordan Peterson would say they're classical liberals. And you know, and where they get for the trouble, people are burning them in effigy. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know what I would say. What's conservative about making fun of yourself? That's a good question. I will say this: I am moving away from self-deprecating material uh, because I found after the years of doing that. Not only did I not like the way it was making me regard myself, um, I'll tell you a little story. A couple yeah. years ago, when I was running the dry bar special, I worked this um, little theater in the Catskills. And after the show, we went out for some drinks in this little town. And this beautiful young woman at the bar came over and sat with us and was talking to us. <laughs> it took me a couple minutes to realize, oh, she's interested in me uh, because she was, you know, again, I'm doing it. I'm doing the self-deprecating thing. Why wouldn't yeah. I think that? but yeah. it's kind of the default setting. So she had told me something very interesting. She said, you know, you're very funny, but you need to change the way you talk about yourself on stage. And as a comic hearing that from someone who's not a performer, of course, I was like, what do you mean? And she said, you talk about yourself like you're an old man, but you're not. And she said, if you were, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. She said, you will be someday, but that's not the way we see you on stage. And it, it stunned me. Yeah. Because I do all this material about getting older, and I thought, she's right. I'm not an 80-year-old man. So what is it I'm really trying to say? And what I learned from it was, my story is not that I'm an old man. It's that I'm afraid. Now, think about how much deeper and richer a thing that is to talk about. Instead of going up and saying, my back hurts, it's more like, I'm really, this is really a, a, a thing that's affecting me. So she saw something that I was not seeing myself. And... My jokes were doing fine, but having learned that, there's a richness in it and that vulnerability I was able to tap into. Yeah. So That's that may be, 
Are, are you yeah. still in, are, you, are you still in touch with her? Um, no, unfortunately, I kind of let that opportunity lapse because of uh, distance. And also, mm -hmm. I was quite a bit older than her, and I felt like this would be a little bit hard for me to, to justify <laughs> dating a woman half my age. So, of course, I look back now, and I'm like, what the hell? Why didn't you just... Because right. she was, you know, sometimes... Um, I have to say that um, if you find... There are young some young women today that are very, very wise. I remember what I was like when I was 26. I was a complete imbecile. I think I still had long hair, for God's sake. But she got me on. She got me on that one because I was like, "What are you talking about?" And then she explained it, and I was like, oh, "I think she's right." Yeah, and I think it, it's so crucial too for uh, you know for people in all walks of life, whether you're a comedian or right. you know just in your day to day, to have to have people come up to you and tell you the truth, you know, which yeah. is which is like exactly what like she like she said, and I, I have that quite a quite often with. Um, with confidence in my mm. and my wife will tell me she's like you're you're talking like you're like you haven't accomplished a lot you yeah. know and she's like i need to remind you about you know all that that you've accomplished mm. and, and and with the self-deprecation thing too i think with with comedians i um i've i've done material on stage where it's been like self-deprecating and then i get off stage and what's bad is when you have audience members who think because you made fun of yourself <laughs> that they can get yeah. away with making fun of you. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 that, no, that, that shit doesn't work. I, I, it, it took me a while to be able to make that joke, you know, and to craft it. And yeah. I'm and not going to some strangers roasting you as you, and you yeah. walk to the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I'll tell you where I've seen that, um, is in my comedy classes. I had one where, um, this young woman went up and I guess she used to be heavy but we didn't know that. And she was talking about herself like she was the most unattractive, unfuckable piece. Of, and her jokes were okay. I mean, they were well-written jokes, but when she was done, I said to her, that's not how we see you. You're a beautiful young woman. Like, you can't do that to yourself. And not just because it's not good for you, we don't connect with that. Right. It's yeah. like if I were to go up, okay, I used to be heavier. And I remember I was doing some jokes about that and after a show, uh, several fat guy comics surrounded me who had fat guy <laughs> acts and they said you can't no 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 those are our <laughs> that's our thing they said you're not fat enough to do fat guy jokes oh said, my right, god right. i'm thinking who was it was it uh was it john panetta, panetta? <laughs> panetta yeah i yeah. mean that guy oh, that guy was his material was, was just hilarious yeah um uh, joe before i let you go um where can people uh, find your stuff we got joe devito comedy you can follow him on twitter you can follow him sure. on instagram yeah and you know i put up my little jokes here and there um uh, it's so strange to you know at joedevito.com to realize i have to update my schedule again the, the gigs are coming in so uh it, it's well people are watching this right now obviously this weekend i'll be at the comedy cove in springfield new jersey Nice. And then next weekend, I'll be at McGuire's Comedy Club here on Long Island, where I live. Um, and uh, I'm going to update that calendar. But um, if anybody wants to reach out to me through social media, it's fine. And I do do um, the comedy coaching. I don't really do the group classes that much anymore because I'm kind of pressed for time. But I've helped a lot of comics um, find their voice and, and, and really work on their writing techniques. And, I, and it's a lot of fun for both of us too. So if anybody is interested in that, just reach out to me through my, my website and I'll give you some details.
That's awesome. And, and, you know, normally, um, uh, you know, Joe was teaching in the, in the city, um, mm -hmm. people local to New York, but now with zoom, you know, wherever you guys are, you know, yeah. you guys can make it happen. So that's awesome. Joe, thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, I'm going to stay on for another uh, 15 minutes or so. Check out Joe's stuff. And uh, thanks, brother. Appreciate right it. Right on. Thanks, man. I'll see you soon. See you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Joe DeVito. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm going to be here for another 15 minutes or so. If you have any questions for me in particular, let me know. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, we need some positivity right there. Brian said, great show, guys. I appreciate that, Brian. Thank you. Uh, Jeff says, thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, David uh, says, awesome. I love the dry bar special. Thanks for the amazing insight. Right on. Cool. Uh, all right. Maybe I won't go 15 more minutes. Um so uh, again, for those of you guys uh, tuning in, I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank Brian for whatever this message is. Was there a real person who was an inspiration for the Doug Allen bit? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, Brian. I uh, well, Actually, I developed that character uh, with a, a comedy writer named Luke Spolino. And Luke was originally, he was interning with, uh, with We the Internet. And with that... Uh, you know, he would, you know, be there on shoot days and then he would also be a part of the writer's room. Uh, so Luke uh, started, uh, had the idea of a comedian who basically, you know, was thought that he was so brave for taking on Trump. But it turns out, you know, everybody was taking on Trump. Uh, so uh, I worked on that character with him. I think I actually I think I may have come up with Doug Allen. Uh, Luke, uh, if he's watching, we could uh, correct me uh, on that. Um, so I don't know if it was necessarily based on um, one person in particular, uh, as opposed to I think it, just a lot of kind of cocky, uh, untalented comics that I had you know sort of been around. You know, people who uh, got the confidence before they got the material or got the confidence before they got, you know, the stage presence. Um, but, yeah, Doug Allen is a, is a very, uh, very fun character to play. I sort of had, an, uh, had a vision of Doug Allen after Biden's win, uh, sort of being on the Brooklyn Bridge and uh, be, having a, a final moment like Inspector Javert in Les Mis and singing a song about how edgy he was before plummeting to his death because now that Trump is out of the White House, his work here is done, his work on this planet. Cool. Uh, Jeff says, uh, we got Joe's schedule. What's yours? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be updating uh, my... My schedule uh, soon. Uh, if you guys go to theluperez.com, I have some um, some dates coming up. Uh, one of them that I'm really, uh, really excited about is I'm going to be at Freedom Fest this year in uh, in South Dakota. So if anybody, any fans out there from South Dakota, uh, you know, if you're coming to, to Freedom Fest, I'd love to see you there. If you have any recommendations on where to go, uh, what to check out, we already got Mount Rushmore planned. Uh, let me know. I'm actually going to bring uh, my wife and our and our child and our little boy. Uh, so it's a mix of family outing and uh, libertarian bacchanal. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And then in October, 
I'm going to be playing an event for um, Students for Liberty down in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, to that as well. And look, wherever you guys are, you know, if you want to if you want to put a show together, you know, hit me up. I know comics. We can make it happen. Uh, let's see. Uh, David says, Lou, Norm McDonald called me and told me to ask, so where do you get your ideas? I saw that supercut with, um, was it Adam Egget, uh, asking, uh, everybody who's been a guest on Norm McDonald. So where do you get your ideas? What a, I, it's a go-to question. Um, and I've definitely gotten it a lot. Um, it's one of those questions where it's like, if you go on a date, uh, a first date and you run out of shit to talk about. So you start asking each other, so do you have any tattoos? It seems like one of those questions. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff's asked, uh, when is your next video skit? Um, I'm, it looks like I'm going to be re releasing uh, the next one sometime next week. And uh, just to give you a taste, it's called Trump Therapy. And uh, it's a series of three videos that also work together as one short film. So hmm, um, we're going to be releasing that. And I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to premiere it on my locals, the Lou Perez I'm going to premiere it there, have it up there for a little while and then, uh, and then uh, release it uh, to the rest of the world. And like I, you know, like I told you guys in the coming uh, months, I'm going to be uh, working on a book and so i'm going to be logging off from most uh most social media um i'm still up in the air and whether or not i'm going to do um some more ask me anythings uh along the way um but with that i'm going to be spending a lot of a lot of my time uh on uh, locals.com just updating everybody with the process and uh the book i'm writing is about comedy its current state uh so if you guys have you know ideas or things you were you think I should touch upon, uh, you know, hit me up over at locals and, and let me know and, and take part in the conversation, you know, so uh, I could, I could really use your help on that front. That would be, that would be wonderful. Uh, let's see. Do we have anything else? It looks like that's about it. Thank you so much for watching and or listening to my podcast. If you'd like to support my work, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. And another way to support me is by supporting my sponsors, Black Organic Cold Brew. Head over to www.blbckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75. All right. Bye.